Hi, friend. This is Georgian Banoff, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, The Cost of Freedom. We are super excited to bring you today's episode. This is a conversation that Georgian and his friend Bill Vanderbush had with our GCSSM students, and it's just too good not to share. May your spirit explode with joy and revolutionary freedom as you listen in. If you were to say Georgian and Winnie are known for anything, it's joy, yeah. freedom, right. liberty, yeah. right? Bliss. Bliss, right? But here's a question that goes beyond that. Why? We know something about joy in the scriptures, and that is that the joy of the Lord is what? Okay. Now, those who, those who are given access to great strength need it for a purpose. There's a reason why you need strength. So a signature message of Georgian and Winnie's that has been a part of who they are for so long is just now beginning to see, uh, I would say, the fruition of why it's been given to them. Prophetic words over their life said this message belongs to you. They have given their lives to three chapters in the Bible that... Uh, that many people have just overlooked, ignored, and just moved on from. And, uh, and it's just now, I think, coming to the surface as to why this is such a big deal. If I was to say, what three chapters do you think Georgian and Winnie own when it comes to Scripture? Romans what? Romans 6, 7, and 8. Uh, George, talk a little bit about how the Romans thing came about, a prophetic word over you guys in terms of how that, that became yours. Well, it was exactly um, September of 1985. We've, we've just completed a season of ministering with this ministry that we've started, and we were part of, uh, they, they created the music machine, the bullfrogs and butterflies, the silver wind and everything. It was a wonderful season. And, but like most ministries at the, in those late 60s, 70s revivals, we're very much uh, focused on discipline, commitment, you know, obedience, all great stuff, you know. So, so however, you know, these things that we do, that we need to, we, need, we were very, you know, I mean, the, the hippies were getting to say, we needed discipline, right. and we needed company and so forth. But before you know it, those things become what you believe. So they were all behavioral things that are very good, very essential, powerful. But before you know it, you gauge your relationship with the Lord, you gauge who you are with what you do. And so holiness, which was a, a power, I mean, we, we grew up in the feet of um, Leonard Ravenhill. Oh, yeah. Powerful. And he was contemporary Wigglesworth. So we brought, he brought to us that anointing, you know. Passionate for holiness. Preacher of holiness. Leonard Ravenhill. So the passion for that came. But the identity of what is that and how you be that came mainly through behavior. Do this. Do these holy things. Don't do the unholy things and you're going to be holy, you know. And so works become your identity. And so 10 years later, we, we're closing the chapter. The final um, service and commitment is over. And I'm waking up 
free to go to start a new ministry. And the Lord shows up in the room distinctly as the teacher, not in the presence of, I've, I've experienced with different ways of the Lord as a father, but this one came as the teacher, the Rabboni, shows up and starts talking to me about holiness. So, where are we at uh, with your holiness program? I'm going pretty good. Like, I'm glad you're talking about it because this is really, this is a hot one. This, I'm really good at that and I got the list. And so, Lord says, okay, you got a nice list and of things you do and things you don't do. So, what does that make you feel? toward everybody else that doesn't even go halfway your list. Oh, well, I'm ahead. I'm a little uh, holier, maybe, holier. Oops, now we have another problem. We have pride. Your holiness program got you to pride, which is sin, so back to square one. You know? And so I go, oh, I didn't think of that one. I mean, when the Lord shows up, Everything changes, and everything you taught or learned is completely, okay, okay. And it says, why don't you do what I said in the Bible? Why don't you look at Romans 6, 11? I know Romans 6, 11, because I memorized Romans 6, but when the Lord shows up, you don't know nothing. Okay, okay. I, I know it by heart, but I don't know anything, so... So I open it, and, and it says, one, it says, reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Boom. I go, reckon. I never even read that. I didn't even know it was there. And the reckon exploded like a neon. I go, Lord, I've missed it. No worries. I'm going to be the best reckoner. Just, it, I didn't know. I didn't know. Now I got it. This is the way to get holy, by reckoning, 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 reckoning. And I'm going to get so good at that, Lord. Just, just give me a year practice, you know. Show up a year from now. Nobody like me. I'll be the best reckoner in the kingdom of God. Turn reckoning into a work. And turn reckoning into a work. Fortunately for me, the Lord says, no, 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 no. Do it right now. And Lord, Lord, you just exposed a large sin, not small one. Pride is one of the biggies if not the bigger one, yeah. biggest. That's not easy to deal with, so, but I will. I will take care of that pride. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna bust that pride. I'm, every time it shows up, I'm gonna reckon. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get it. But it'll take me time, you know. This is, no, no, do it right now. Yeah. This is, Lord, how can a proud man change like this? I, I take, I need time. I, I, can't, I can't even say it. I can't say it, I'm reckoning that to sin, I'm just fully alive to pray right now. You expose that. I can't. I, how do I do it? <laughs> On the basis of what is what I said. On the basis of what I can say it. Like I have no practice, no, no, no time to work it. <laughs> and and the Lord says, How about Romans 8:3? What the law could not do, weak as it was as a human nature. God did by sending his son in a flesh like ours to fulfill the requirements and the law in us. When I read God did, the DID exploded into this eternity. I mean, it became, it wrecked me for eternity. I need to realize that the gospel was based on what God did. So, so you've got Romans 6. And you've got the revelation of Romans 8 
and now there's liberty. Now, you're, now you've got the finished work. You've got the finished work bookended. But in between there Mm-mm. is where most people live. Yes. I mean, most of the preaching I heard growing up, most of the preaching I did as a pastor was not in Romans 6 and Romans 8. It was in that middle section. Romans 7. <laughs> ah. I'm glad to ask. When you get a dose of six as the Lord... By the way, the Lord showed up second time, ten years later, and again in Romans 6, 6, 6, 6. And it talked about... Um, let, me, let me turn it around for a second. 6, 6, and then we'll get to 7. By the way, to, today, I don't know how much Winnie can cover, but she, she got the 6, 7, and 8 marriage bridge. It's, oh, so it's amazing. Those of you have seen it... Um, she found a way of communicating. But uh, the Lord showed, showed up and, and began to talk to me about 6-6. Six, six because I, I still had questions, you know. And as, uh, because the old man was crucified. I'm going, what is the old man? I, I, it's in, the, in Greek, is old man. It, that, that's it. It's like... Dinosaur, some something like old man, you know, and 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 I, c- I couldn't understand. So the Lord, the Lord showed up second time and said, "Let's talk about the old man." And here's a couple of translation that helps. We know that the man we once were has been crucified with Christ. Romans six six, for the destruction of the sinful self, yeah. that we may no longer be slaves. Of sin, since dead man is no longer answerable to sin. So right there, it sh- the light sh- shine about a little bit of description of what the old man is is what we once were, what we were, what has been crucified with Christ for the destruction of the sinful self. And and several translations help. Uh, but the way the Lord described to me the sinful self, the destruction, he came to destroy your self-effort. Yes. To, to yes. put an end yes. to the self. Because naturally we want to do good. Yes. And, you know, even as a conscientious people, you know, we want to be moral. Even if we're not moral, but we know that's not good. So we want to be moral. We want to be good. We want to be better dads. Everything. And so our first instinct is, I want to do better. Uh, but Jesus didn't just come to set us free from our sin. He came to set us free from us. He didn't come to set you free from your sin. He came to set you free from you. Yes. And set us free from you. <laughs> also. And set us free from each other. And basically, the whole thing is wrapped up in a life of Abraham and Sarah. Because the two pivotal Scripture, uh, to two pivotal books in the Bible for identity of who we are is Romans and Galatians. Um, Romans is a, is a book of establishment. It's the book where you find out who we are and how we, how we got there. Rome, uh, but then Galatians uh, brings us back to who we are because they shifted. 
because of well-meaning fathers-in-law came and visited these born-again churches. They were exploding. They were seated in heavenly places. They were like, yay, miracles exploding everywhere. And it was all a gift. It was the Holy Spirit moving inside and revealing everything. And Paul goes, what happened now? You are now fallen from this place of grace and, and you lose from Christ. I mean, it doesn't get any worse than that. And the phrase fallen from grace is a common one we throw, throw around. And typically we think of fallen from grace something, as somebody who's fallen into yeah. sin. But it says you who are seeking to be justified by the law have fallen from grace. Exactly. Fallen from grace is actually when you're trying to be righteous according to religion. Which is the self-effort. Self-effort, which, which is how you found out that, that you, were, you were sinning in your disciplined pride. Exactly. <laughs> Worse, because now you think too. you're holy and you're more sinful by trying to be holy than even the guys who don't even care. Right. I've been there. Right. Because when you get, the closer you get to how holy you are, the more sinful, the more sinful, the more bloated your ego becomes, right. the more I. Well, uh, let me tell you what I did to uh, be holier than you. And that's the attitude. And if you, no, even no, if no, you no, don't no, say it, you think it. Yeah. No, you think it. And then yeah. pretty soon we become judgmental no, of everybody else around us because yeah. it, you know, we're comparing ourselves to everybody else. And as long as we're just a little holier in our discipline than everybody else is, oh, is. we feel good. Is. Yeah. <laughs> Which is pride. Which means in order for me to feel good, it requires you to be a sinner. So that's exactly what the well-meaning fathers, the reason I say well-meaning, because you just don't want to dishonor people who are trying to do it, but you don't want to dishonor anybody, because well-meaning. But, but if said, I'm requiring you to be a sinner, then that means I can't free you. That's right. I, 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 your bondage is what gives me an ego boost. I need you to be in bondage. I need you to be under judgment and condemnation in order for me to feel good about myself. That's what religion does, and that's how it perpetuates the pharisaical, judgmental mindset that so much of the body of Christ has. Let's talk about this word slavery for a second, George. And, and that's exactly what Romans 7 Because the concept is. of slavery, think about it. It doesn't matter if, if a slave master treats you good or not. Being a slave takes away your freedom. It means you have no choice. And so, so many people, I think, in the body of Christ live and teach that on some level we're still slaves to sin because there's, I just, there's no choice. I'm just stuck with this forever. Georgia, why, why, do, why do people continue to see ourselves as slaves of sin? Because in Romans 7, 14, um, describes something... It's, it's a dreadful and describes something that is, is goes like this for the law of course as we all know it's spiritual but I am unspiritual I have been sold as slave to sin and the word sold is the Greek word traffico mm. so in, in today's language we can say I am 
I have been trafficked as, in fact, trafficked as merchandise. That's the, in, in Strong's Concordance. If you want to see exactly what this means, just go to the fastest place, Strong's Concordance in the back, and it says, trafficked as merchandise. This is exactly what religion does to you. It sells you as, as, as merchandise. Treat you as merchandise. This is the fall of, from the fall of Adam. You know, Satan is the enemy. The, the, the sin is, a, you know, is an entity. Like death is an entity. The abyss is an entity. You know, they were, they were thrown. Death and, you know, they're thrown. And, you, know, you throw entities. You know, sin is an entity. Sin is a noun. And a verb. Noun is what? A place. A person, a thing, and verb is an action. So obviously, anytime we discuss verb, the, the verb, we're discussing behavior. But when we're discussing the the, ent- the noun, we're discussing the entity. It's talking about a spirit in a sense it's that a spirit. that that has a force of control in a person's life. And there's a lot of people that think they've accepted Christ. They, in a sense, feel like they've been forgiven enough to believe that they got their ticket stamped for heaven. But then they're convinced, and oftentimes by, by well-meaning teachers, they're convinced that as long as you have breath in your body here on this earth, that entity still owns you on some level because it controls you. And if it controls you and it's taken away your freedom, then what are you still? A slave. Yet, yet we're supposed to be free, yet so much of the teaching that I grew up under was that I'm still owned by this thing. Which identifies you as a sinner. Right. Not just a sinner, but a slave sinner. In other words, you have absolutely no choice. Right. Slaves have no 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 will. They do they they do only with the master. They completely own. Right. So it's not only we're we're sinners, but we're totally enslaved, rotten to the core. Merchandise, being merchandised by excuse the term, but the pimp of sin. Right. The, right. No different than the pimps in in some areas of, of most inner cities do to women, let's say, or men nowadays. I don't know. And exactly what happens to the 7 million children as we speak. They're pimped. They're and because we've been going into this um, dark world of trafficking, you know, for the last half, half, you know, six, seven years, we've been fully engaged in it. We visit, in fact, we're leaving Monday to Asia, back to Asia, because we want to uh, make a difference. We want to change that. We cannot believe that this is true. So many of our kids have come out of that kind of slavery, and it took some time, two years, before we can hug them. But everything that's happening because in this physical... Been abused. Everything that's happening in this physical realm, including <clears throat> human trafficking, sex slavery, child soldiers, all of those things are just, in a sense, a mirror, a type of shadow of, of a greater problem on a spiritual level... It's actually, it's actually perpetuated by a misunderstanding from within the body of Christ mm-hmm. of the entity. It's like you can free, you've got 7 million child slaves out there, you can free all 7 million of them. But if you don't deal with the entity that enslaved them in the first place, you haven't dealt with the problem, ultimately. You rescue them from one pimp only to 
put him in the hands of a worse pimp, a, a, a spiritual pimp who is trying to be holy in his own effort. And so it gets, gets more confusing and gets more complicated because at least that old pimp there, bad guy, everybody knows that, but that's it. I'm stuck with this right. bully. Right. But now we have a, a new kind of bully, and it's not new. It's the oldest bully is religion. And you can't tell it's bully because, uh, you know, so many of you have been under stuff like that, like lording it over you with just the protection. <laughs> our, right. our laws are for your protection. You know, and so we're being controlled. Right, right. And, and that's, that's, the nature, that's the nature of an abusive system is on some level it promises some level of protection. Mm -hmm. Which is why people will continually gravitate mm -hmm. back to, it's almost like a magnet going back to that abusive system. Whereas, you know, you, you, pull, you pull a child out of a trafficking situation, and, and a lot of times you have to deal with the PTSD. Yes. Well, I've been pastoring now for 25 years. I can tell you, when you pull people out of a religiously, spiritually abusive system, the exact same mindset is yes. there. It's almost a PTSD. Yes. Because they, they can't conceive of what freedom looks like. Because even though they feel like they're saved, they've been living as a slave. Because religion has told them, yes, Jesus accepts you, loves you, and has saved you. But here in this world, you still have a slave master. And it's typically because that Romans 7 is preached to the ignorance of Romans 6 and 8. Exactly. Yeah. Forget what just, we just read in 6. Okay, let's move on to deeper things. Back to slavery. Yeah. That's, I, that's why I love... I love uh, <laughs> that's why I love when it's uh, Coco's little book on who is the Roman 7 man. And the first... And if you've never read it, you've got to pick one up. It's just a tiny little booklet. Uh, it's with about 64 pages. Same thing. Question, who's around seven men? An answer. And 60-some answers she found. I mean, after meditating on it for 15 years, this is a synopsis of identifying who that is. You know, because most of the time, most theologians always discuss when did that happen to Paul? They assume this is Paul, and when did it happen? Did it happen to him before he was saved, during his salvation, after he was saved? And so most of it is after course this is the way as good as it gets most theologians as Paul discusses how it is it's Christianity is as best as it can get Paul had a big problem whatever that was everybody has problems and there it is and so they put you in that you know but when you go wait a minute we're maybe asking the wrong question maybe instead of when maybe we should ask who who is that Roman seven man because the Bible discusses about entities sin is an entity let's try to figure out who is this so she uses his own words through 100 translations. So she's like a, built a biographical uh, little portrait yeah. of him with his own words. So she uses that. And it's a very, very clever book. But the first, the first answer is the best for me. It says, who is Romans 7 man? Well, who, he is a man who might have read Romans 6 but forgot about it. <laughs> or didn't understand didn't believe, anything about it. Didn't believe what he didn't read. Didn't believe yeah. That's Anything too good to be read. true. He might have read, but obviously doesn't believe a word of it. Wow. Yeah. Because for you to identify with 
seven as a slave soldiers, as most theologians tell you, you should. You have to complete, might as well rip six right. and throw it in the trash. So it's as if six is what God thinks about you. Romans 7 is what you think about yourself that's contrary to that. And then Romans 8 decides not to agree with what you think, but go back and reiterate Romans 6. There you go. Yay. Because look at Bill. When, when, when the Lord showed me that how to, how to accept his, his commands, is reckon yourself right now dead to sin. Not only dead to sin, but alive to me. He wants you to be alive to him now, right now. It's not like slow, progressive, uh, 2% Jesus, then 3% Jesus, and 5%. It's not a diet. It's a, it's, it's, you know, we think of ways of how we lose weight or how we gain this. Or, you know, we always think of portions like that. But Jesus says, I want, I want you now. I gave 100% all of me. I didn't give you a little Jesus with a little, 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 little blood here, a little pinky, just slowly we're going to go to the heart. No, I gave you my heart. I gave my entire blood. I, have, I gave everything for right now for all of you, right now. So he's saying, reckon yourself completely alive to me, alive to something, mean completely immersed in, into it. You know, in fact, the Greek, if you, if you read uh, some historical background in Romans 6, there's a tribe in Greece that says we're, uh, they're, they're into wine. You know, I'm, not, I'm not recommending that at all. I'm not just using an example from what I've read historically, how the term comes. Uh, they use the term, we're alive to wine. Like the whole culture was about, you know, grapes and wine. Right. And they live live to wine, They're like alive to wine. This is their culture, you know. But it's a term that Paul used only because it was so prevalent and people understood what this tribe is. They're alive to something, meaning this is their life. They're alive to it. They're connected with it. And Jesus comes to be connected with us 100%. Just like a husband and a wife come together 100%. It's not like, baby, do you, do you want to marry me? Of course I do. I love you. I love you too. Except I have ten other girlfriends, honey. But 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 you know I still like you more. I want to marry you. Except I can't get rid of all of them all at once. So but but I like to marry you. I like to hang around more with you than any one of them. But emotionally, it'll take time. So what what I'm thinking, what I'm saying, let's just get married and then. If with your encouragement and love, I'll start get rid and get rid of one of them. Maybe one of a year. Maybe I can. Maybe in ten years, I can get more and more yours. I can become more and more faithfuler and faithfuler, more and more, a hundred percent. But not at first. This is how we think, and we reduce sanctification to this slow process of getting rid of little gods, little cults, little. Idols, slowly, Lord, not all the idols, not at once. But, but we, we serve you. You are the Lord. You're, you're better than everyone, but I can't get rid of all of them at once. You get what I'm saying? So, so this, what you hit it here is when you say sanctification, so much of the body of Christ views sanctification as an ongoing process. Jesus, Jesus himself speaks of this in John 17 when he says, For their sakes I sanctify myself that they may be sanctified. Think about what he just said. Here's the Boom. way sanctification, sanctification is going to work. I'm going to sanctify myself, and the result of me doing that is that you just got sanctified. It reinforces.
reinforces the finished work spoken of in Romans 6 and Romans 8. Totally. And first part of Romans 7, discussing being married. Right. That's right. We are married to the one who was raised from the dead. With the dead one, we died to sin. And in Romans 6 and Romans 7, we died to the law. So basically, Romans 6 is, is the severance from sin. And Romans 7, very important, you also got to get your severance from the law. Because that law will dog you. Used by sin. Nothing wrong with the law of God. It's holy and pure and beautiful. But sin uses the law to empower itself over you. And then Romans 8. It removes the person of the law. Removes Jesus. Just takes the law. Okay. You got to do this. Right. (laughs) No, try it. No, really, really. I mean it. You can do it. Give it a go. So he gets you into that. Oops, you fail. Well, that's okay. I knew that you would, but give it another go. You know, and try it again. And so sin uses, the pimp uses God's holy perfect law to seduce you. And then Romans 8 and control you. reveals the new law. Romans 8, 2. That the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. So... So it may be within a person's heart to be under a law, which I had a guy come up to me one time and says, says, do you believe we're under law or under grace? Well, nobody under grace ever asked that question. So, <laughs> so, so I, said, I said, well, of course we're under the law. And he says, I'm glad you said that. He says, that, that's, that's exactly what I believe too. And I said, wait, wait, which law are you talking about? Because every lawyer in the world understands the concept of an overturned law. When a new law comes in that takes the place of the old law, the old law is powerless and irrelevant. And the new law goes like this. It's the law of the spirit of life in Christ. And the ramifications of that law is that I've been set free. Which means I am, under this law, legally bound to freedom. Created to demonstrate the freedom of heaven. We are, means, we are not from Hagar, the slave woman, which corresponds ooh. to the law, Mount Sinai, where the law came from, which still birthed slaves in Jerusalem. It's not about Jerusalem. It's about every religious city in the world. Every religious city has got the Jerusalem thing. It's the religion. It's not... Nothing wrong with Jerusalem. Jerusalem, God's going to come on down and have a great showdown. It's the religion. So, Hagar corresponds to the self-effort because she was the good one. Hey, come to my tent. I'll show you what I could do. I know there ain't nothing going on. I mean, you're trying with Sarah and... Yeah, I understand. It's not happening. She's got a problem. She's not good. She's not good to perform. But try me. I'll show you what I could do. And so... It was actually pressure for Sarah. Eventually, Sarah caved in to the pressure. Yeah. It's just the culture and everything. You've got to have a son. Of course, God says you're going to have a son. Okay. And it's culturally okay at the time. It's your slave. Yeah. It's your total property. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead and have a son out of my slave. And, and they birthed it right in your lap. And that's just a cultural thing. And so it becomes actually your son. But God says, no, no. Uh, Ishmael is not. 
because it's it's not from your womb. It's from the well-capable womb, but it's slave womb. Slavery, because I'm not going to bless slavery. Right, daddy? Wrong mama. But Paul explains that these two women goes along with two ways to have a relationship with God. One is through Mount Sinai, which unfortunately still keeps you as slaves. It's a half and a half situation. The good and the bad. The good and the bad. It's half and half. Half and half is good for coffee. But not for your intimate relationship with the Lord. You're not called for half and a half. No marriage working half and a half. One day with a girlfriend, one day with a wife. No, no. No marriage. 100%. Come on. I mean, we're unpacking some heavy stuff here that it takes really sessions after sessions to clarify. Because... I mean, you're hearing this like, and they've heard this for two years now. Yeah. Yeah. And look at him shouting. Because it, it Cause took two years of, of lectures. Uh, or, and they're like getting it. Right. They, they don't just, they're, they're, they're living it. This is it's the, gone from being information to being revelation. <laughs> and, and reformation, being alive. Reformation. To, being alive. This is, this is the, how can I call it? I've been thinking about it. So another way you could put it is, is if, if I live, According to the law of the spirit of life in Christ that set me free, if I live as any other way than free, I'm actually breaking the law. Exactly. Lawbreaker. Which means you can be a happy legalist. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And another thing, I just, I mean, I'm legally free. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) The law demands my freedom. (laughs) Never been so happy to be a legalist in my life. (laughs) It's so liberating to be a legalist. Wow. (laughs) Yay. Now... Just bringing some evidence for which it takes a whole session to discuss. But listen to this. I'm not sure. If, all right. Let's just go after this. Talk about sin because you, you discussed about dealing with sin. Do you know that according to the word, what Jesus did, he came to take that sin entity completely out of you. Yes. By destroying and here's, I read it, the law, so, so what the law could not do because human nature was weak, God did. Yes. Romans 6 verse, excuse me, Romans 8 verse 3. He condemned sin in human nature. Yeah. You know, there's a difference between forgiving and condemning. It's yes. so good. Wow. There's huge difference between. Yeah. Jesus did not come just to forgive. The, the Old Testament provided it for forgiveness. With certain offering and certain sacrifice, the forgiveness is assured. Right. You know, Jesus came to do, thank God for forgiveness. Right. <laughs> Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying it was hallelujah. I praise uh, him. But it's but more than just more forgiving than forgiveness. your sin. Yeah. It's condemning, condemning. the yeah. entity yeah. of sin exactly. that controls you. Does, does anybody know what condemn means? Have you, have you seen a condemned house? It's not livable. Yeah. You can't live in a condemned house. Yes. Wow. 
it's is is destroyed practically. Is condemned. Someone who is condemned is is like dead chamber or right? Isn't it? Am I? That's right. That's right. Okay. So uh, people will oftentimes say, well. I still have a sin nature. And then the question is, is why do you think that? Well, because I still sin. But you don't have to have a sin nature to sin. Adam proved that. Adam and Eve sinned, but they were not created with a sin nature. They were created good. God said it's very good. He didn't give them a sin nature. So Adam and Eve's fall demonstrates that you still can sin, but that sin does not prove that you have a sin nature nature exactly you can be influenced and tempted influenced and tempted but it doesn't mean it has to enslave or control you the entity exactly. has been dealt with Come on. Mm. it's been condemned so it's still around you but no longer in you oh yeah if it's condemned, it's no longer in you. You're no longer a livable house for sin. <laughs> for, you, for you to sin, you have to come out of what you are. Uh, yes. You have to step out of who you are in order to get out of you, sort of to get out of your place, get out of your house. And it's all around you, and you can get out of it. But if you stay home, if you stay who you are. And that's why uh, mm, Paul so used good. it as a noun, because noun is a place. It could be a place, it could be a it, or it could be a person. Mm -hmm. And in Romans 6 says, If we have left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in the old house there? Yeah. I love that. Wow. Or didn't you realize we packed up and left for good? That's what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, which is a demonstration of what happened spiritually. So I changed Christ. my citizenship. I don't live in the old country anymore. That's so it. why am I still being controlled by the governing entity of the old country? Exactly. Ooh. It's kind of like I escaped from communism. Yes. I had an old communist passport. That passport was exchanged when I came to America for American passport. Now I'm a citizen of the United States of America. Come on. And I remember going back to Poland during the underground church, still with minister wow. in Poland. And when we crossing the out of Poland back to U.S., the Polish guard says, "Hey, it says here you were born in Sofia, Bulgaria." I go, "Yeah, that's right." So you're Bulgarian? I says, um, "I'm American citizen." He says, "But you're Bulgarian. In other words, you belong here." It says, uh, I was born here, but now I'm born again in another country. Look at the beginning of the passport, and don't you give me a hard time. Give me that passport. Because if you don't, I'm going to call on my friends. They gave me the passport. You're not going to like to mess with them. Uh, it was a tugger. It was a, he, he bullied me. He wanted to intimidate me and make me feel like I'm still communist. I'm still part of their jurisdiction, under their control. And, and so, but this is years later. This is such a great story about the, the, what Jesus did. Years later, American, uh, finally, American law allowed second dual citizenship. For years, it wasn't. So it allowed dual citizenship. So I go, oh, good. So I can get my Bulgarian passport reinstated so I can have 
They're like EU passport now. It's very good to have. So I'm going to a, I'm going to Bulgaria, and my friends are very uh, I I'm famous back then. So the guy that in charge of all passport issues is was a fan, you know. So they say so and so would love it. He'll keep it. He'll keep getting it for you for 24 hours. You don't have to wait line because it's so and so. He likes you. Like when you were a band there, he, he. So I'm going in there. And he goes, oh, Georgian, so good to see you. I was at your concerts, and man, you guys rock my world. So what, what can I help? I says, well, I want to get my passes. Okay, I'll help you. What, what, how do you spell it in Georgian instead of Bano? He goes, uh, you don't exist. I go, what do you mean I don't exist? He says, the system says there's no such thing as Georgian instead of Bano. I says, of course I exist. He says, tell me your spelling in, because some spells Georgian, some say Georgian. You know, Georgian or ah. Uh, you know, so he says, no, it's Georgian. So she's Georgian. I say, no, Bano. No such a person ever existed. In the Bulgarian, I, I says, what do you mean? I don't exist. I know you exist, man. I, I love your band. But this, the, this, the government system has erased your record you do not exist. There's no proof legally that you ever was here heading to the Bulgaria. You do not exist. I go, they'll preach. They will preach because Jesus erased my old identity on the cross. No one can prove that I was a slave of communism. Even the communists erased it. Hey, thank you for listening to my podcast. I trust our discussion today was helpful and encouraging to you. If you have any questions or comments, you can send me your email at gb at globalcelebration.com. I'd love to hear from you. And may the freedom that Christ pays such a high price for you to have be yours today. This is the Cost of Freedom podcast. I'm Georgian Banoff, and I can't wait to see you next week.